Welcome. This is the Eastern Influenced Corporate Leader Podcast, hosted by Alana Mae Mitchell, where each episode we tune in to Eastern Wisdom. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Eastern Influence Corporate Leader. A couple of guests on the show previously you might have listened to have said that when they meditate, it's not as if they're a monk meditating. And I thought that's so interesting because, you know, I've been to Copan Monastery, a Tibetan Buddhist monastery in Nepal in 2012. And from my experience, the monks and nuns meditated and they did a lot of other things as well. So I'm delighted that today we'll be in conversation with someone who is in that category and I'd love to share a bit more about him. So we're speaking today with Brother Fat Pai, a senior monastic disciple of Venerable Thich Nhat Hanh, who was ordained as a monk in 1997 and was formally authorized to teach in January 2003. Originally from Australia, he is an active meditation teacher who leads retreats, days of mindfulness and talks throughout Western USA, Australia, South America and Asia. And he's done that for thousands of meditation students. He recently launched his newest book titled The Eight Realizations of Great Beings, Buddhist Wisdom for Waking Up to Who You Are. And he's joining us today from Mountain Spring Monastery in the Blue Mountains in Australia. Brother Fapai, thanks so much for coming on board today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I'm excited. Oh, it's great. It's so, it's so great. And I first, I, I first wanted to start off with one of the questions for my own purposes would be, what is it like to be a monk? Like, what, how would you describe that? <laughs> I, uh, I, I love that question. And I would, I would just say that um, for me, it, it's, it's like asking, what's it like to be a human being? Uh, a, a monk is a particular form. And I didn't wake up one morning and say, right, I'm going to become a monk. Uh, but rather, I had this longing in my heart. And I think we all have this longing, regardless of what we're doing, to understand my situation more deeply. And for me also, I wanted to um, be of service to others. And so I had that kind of longing in my heart and I was practicing meditation. And over the course of uh, you know, my, my practice and um, just my life in general, it seemed that this particular container, this particular form was the form in which I could most be available. And for me, like wearing this, uh, this robe is definitely an invitation for people to feel like they can come up and say anything and share whatever's on their heart. They can have that kind of confidence. And for me, that's kind of uh, my experience. So I think for each of us, whether we're a monk or not, the invitation is to inhabit fully our life and to let our life be an expression of who we are. And if I'm just caught up in the idea myself of like, I'm a monk or I'm this or I'm that, it's somehow limiting. Uh, rather, I try to approach, I don't get caught up in the, the form too much, but rather approach um, this path, which in a way has kind of chosen me as well, as a way of opening my heart, as a way of service. And I feel like the way in which 
um, I inhabit my life or my calling is continuing to evolve. It's not uh, something that is is fixed in a particular form like 20 years ago, but rather the way that I respond to the situations and, and kind of that longing of, of my heart, like we as I shared, the longing that we all have is evolving over time. So yeah, the, the monastic container is... Uh, is the container that most suits me. And I would say, I would just finish by saying, um, uh, some people have the idea that um, monks or nuns or monastics in general, we live in a hut on the side of a mountain. I mean, I am on a mountain. (laughs) (laughs) But we do pretty much the same things as you do at home. We uh, get up, we wash the dishes, we cook, we clean, we work in the garden. Um, Here in Mountain Spring, uh, we have 15 acres to take care of. But the difference is that uh, whatever we're doing, we engage with it as a practice of mindfulness, as a practice of availability. Every moment of our life can be a moment of meditation. So we're not um, living necessarily some ethereal existence, but rather we're choosing to inhabit each moment of our life as a moment of practice. Um, So yeah, that's what I would say. Mm, there's so much in that. And I'd love to touch on the inhibiting your life as a moment of practice and the meditation aspect, because I led a group on Monday night in meditation. And one of the questions that came up was, you know, I have this experience in meditation and then I go out to my life or as if the meditation is separate from the life. That's another point. Um, And I, you know, have these moments and for the leaders who are listening, you know, there might be stressful moments, there might be moments where they're anxious. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, how do you take the insights and feelings and peace and blissfulness that you feel in meditation or sometimes not always. And how do you take that into, as you say, inhibiting mindfulness in every moment in your life um yeah like i love the fact that you uh you shared about um uh how there's often is not always peace joy bliss and so on in in meditation it's a little bit like life and for me i've seen our tendencies to somehow equate uh, practices of presence or spirituality with transcendence somehow with rising above our experience and our bodies uh, mindfulness practice and buddhism in general would uh would be have a quite a different um, mindset quite a different approach um, there's nothing the basic uh, uh kind of premise of of buddhism is as as difficult as it kind of uh might seem to some of us there's nothing inherently wrong with suffering um, it's part of the part of the way things are here. Um, when we think about when we observe our own suffering, whether it's physical pain, whether it's emotional pain, um, whatever it might be, then there can be a tendency to you know want to run away from it, to to uh, get anything else. And if we we have that mindset of wanting to run away from pain, run away from suffering, and we think that somehow. You know, many of us approach meditation or mindfulness with the idea of like, it's going to fix me or I'm going to get rid of all of these things in order to get something else. Then, you know, it will be quite a challenge because there's never a moment in time in which those things disappear entirely. Like transformation doesn't mean if you think about transformation 
and you ask yourself the question, what does transforming my pain mean? Does it mean that there's no more uh, physical pain? Does it mean that, that we never get angry? Or does it mean that we never get sad? What does transformation actually mean? Um, and, you know, if we, we uh, look at our lives, if we look at the world around us, we understand that something can't become nothing. Uh, like our pain, our suffering, if we're able to, the things that, we, that challenge us in some way, if we're able to generate this sense of presence to them, turn around and look at them, to look deeply into them, then they, they can become, rather than being something wrong, they can become a great invitation. They can actually become the wisdom or the insight or the healing that we're meant to bring to our life and to the world. In um, Plum Village practice, we cultivate an energy that in English is called mindfulness. And I want to share that I really, you know, I try not to get caught up in, uh, in dichotomies, but I hate the, the, the translation mindfulness. I really hate the word mindfulness. Um, oh, the reason, <laughs> well, a lot of times like people are, they've come, uh, mindfulness has become commodified, but at the same time, mindfulness, is an English translation of uh, a Pali word, a, a word uh, from the, the Indian um, tradition, sati or smriti in Sanskrit. And uh, in the West, we have quite a different concept of what mind is to the original concept in um, the Indian philosophy or in the Buddhist uh, philosophy. If I ask, uh, and I do this often in, in, uh, in the, uh, the Western world, I ask people to point to their minds and like people just point here right mm. and then i ask everybody to close their their eyes you know do some breathing practices and then i ask them to point to their self very few people point here if i ask you alana point to yourself you're not going to point oh, here here i uh, go to my heart yeah, right to your heart and this is a beautiful indication of of something that is is kind of foundational to a more holistic understanding of mindfulness. And that is that in the original um, Vedic philosophy of the Buddha's time, the seat of consciousness was seen to be the heart, not the, the brain. Now, in the modern world, we would say consciousness is present throughout every cell of our body, but it's equally valid to translate sati, smriti, as heartfulness rather than mindfulness. And I think this is very helpful medicine for all of us to come down out of our heads into our embodied experience, into our bodies, into you know, our, our lived experience. So in the Plum Village tradition, we approach every moment, whether we're walking, whether we're sitting, whether we are um, going to the bathroom, whatever we're doing, sitting in traffic, as an opportunity to cultivate this embodied awareness that we call mindfulness or heartfulness. So what I invite friends to do is to choose uh, in the beginning, to choose um, certain things that are a part of their day that call them into presence. It might be the sound of your phone ringing whenever you hear uh, the phone ringing rather than just automatically reaching for the phone, you know, having this kind of low key stress response to actually uh, consciously choose to come back to your breathing one or two times, come into your body and then uh, do that. Or maybe you hear a car go past or it might be um, that you put a little uh, picture or a poem near your computer or a little a bell that's invited every 15 minutes or so on your computer. So you cultivate this habit of, of generating presence 
Um, or even when you take a few steps in your house um, from one room to another, it's possible to inhabit those steps fully, to be in contact with the sensations of your body, um, to notice the things that you're seeing, the sounds that you're hearing, to really come into your lived experience. So it's not possible to recreate the schedule of a monastery at home. You'll fail. Um, like I give you about three or four days and everything will fall apart. But it is possible to use the everyday moments of your life as moments of generating presence. Just whatever's around you right now, choose to, to reframe that in a, in a way, to, to come back to breathing, to come back to presence. And yeah, it's possible to do. Quite I love that. I love that how you've reframed that definition on heartfulness. That's so incredible. And it's one of the questions we were mentioning before we started um, started the recording is that one of the questions that one of the people in the group, the Facebook community there, that they were wanting to be more heart, a heart-based leader. And I think that's just a brilliant practical tip in dropping out of the mind and going into what you're feeling and, and how you, how your body is and connecting with that before for example, I'm thinking, you know, the presence that a leader could have before they have a conversation with someone in their team, you know, if they really tune into where they're at before going into that, then they will be so much more present in where they show up for their team member, for example. And it's not hard and you don't need to do it every time. You know, I'm sure there's there's some moments where people are really present and then other moments where they've got other things going on and they're not as present and it's like, the other thing that came up for me when you were sharing that was that the opportunities are endless. There's, you know, so many things that we do throughout the day um, that we can be present for. Exactly. I would say, I, I, I really heard the sentence that you said, like we drop out of mind into to body and I, I, like in, uh, in the awareness of mindfulness, um, we, we also feel that mind and body are very much related. So we kind of drop out of small mind into big mind, you know oh. what I mean? It's, it's embodied, <laughs> embodied awareness. And I, 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 uh, it, it's interesting when we think of leadership because, um, you know, I, I'm a, a kind of a, an elder in our community and I have the opportunity to, uh, to train a lot of, uh, young ones. And, uh, of course, we can have like three or four hours of classes a day at, at different times. However, the real class, the real teaching is actually like in our daily life, the way that we walk, the way we interact, the way we're present for ourselves and for each other. And so for me, I, I really, I, I see uh, leadership as being somewhat like the, like the banks of the river. You know what I mean? There's uh, where we're holding space where we're aware of kind of intentions and energies and inspirations that we and, and other people have. And rather than being a dam that just kind of uh, stops everything and everything has to go through, being like the banks of the river that guide and support. But in a way, uh, while the river knows the bank is there, it's not the bank's not directing so much attention to itself. Rather, it's a, it's a path of service, a path of um, helping um, you know, the river to flow, helping everyone in our team to be able to identify their strengths and nurture those things. In our community, the role of an elder is not to boss everybody around. Um, we think, 
you know, we have this, this thing that we call experience. And if we're a leader in the corporate world, we have all of this experience and, and things. However, the young ones or the junior ones in the team have all of this inspiration. They have enthusiasm. Mm. And so if we have this experience, we think like, oh, that's not going to work. We've done that. All the young ones, they have all these suggestions, you know, and they, they think it's new. And for me, after being in my experience, like in, the, in our community, which is an international community, people of 41 or 42 nationalities, um, I've seen everything, you know what I mean? And we've like all the ideas that the young ones uh, share, like I haven't heard an idea that we haven't tried already. And so there's a tendency in me to think, you know what, we've done that, it didn't work, or you know, it wasn't as successful as they think they are. And so there's that tendency to be a damn. Mm. But what I've realized, and like coming from that place of like experience, it just can be sometimes slightly jaded. And then, um, uh, what I've realized is just because it didn't work or it didn't go exactly as we kind of hoped a number of years ago, doesn't mean that it's not going to work now. And so for me, my process as an elder, you know, quote unquote, or as a leader, um, for those of us in the corporate world is to kind of see that we have that experience and also be informed by the enthusiasm, you know, of, uh, of the juniors or the young ones. And then the juniors need to, we need to create systems, in such a way that they can benefit from our experience. We balance both. So in our community, in the way we operate, um, when we make a decision, everybody from the most junior, they've, they've come into the community that day. Whenever there's an issue, like the youngest one, we wanna listen to the youngest one. We wanna listen to the most fresh view because that might be the most profound, most insightful and left of field kind of view that's possible. And also we want to hear from the experience. We want to balance both. We don't ever want to get stuck. Um, my teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh said to us, if you're doing the same thing in 20 years, you failed. Um, and so that can be quite confronting for, uh, for many of us because it's so easy to get caught in the rut. You know what I mean? Like mm. and we think we're progressing and everything just because we're comfortable, whether that's in the corporate world or whether it's within our own lives. Sometimes we mistake comfort for growth and it's not the same thing. If you are not, if we're not in a situation in which where our edge is being touched or that somebody's sharing with us something that we completely don't agree with, then we're not growing in any way. That's not a teacher. A teacher is someone who calls us forth or it's a situation that calls us forth in some way from that comfortable place. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I, I wanted to share. I hope I, I'm so oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think we're weaving and dancing all that together. And the piece that you shared about enthusiasm with the, the younger um, minds or the, the younger people that are coming through, like more, more junior, um, there, there's something about enthusiasm that I've heard from another person that I listened to. And she talks about how enthusiasm lights up the brain and that it is just this thing that's the, the highest vibration that people naturally resonate to. Um, so, yeah, it's quite interesting that you mentioned, in, in, of all things, enthusiasm as, as one of those. Yeah, and, um, uh, you know, the other, the other aspect from, from my own tradition that we talk about is something called beginner's mind. Um, beginner's mind which is really a, a great thing like to whether it's just in terms of our daily life to walk you know to experience a step something that we think we know how how to do already we experience it in a fresh way a new way 
um, as if it's the first time. Have you ever seen a child when they see something for the first time or they experience something for, a fir for the first time? It's amazing. It's so delightful uh, for them. We lose that. We think we know everything already, Where, uh, like in our daily life. We know what it is to eat an apple, all these kind of things. But with uh, mindfulness, we also uh, uh, bring this capacity. We cultivate this capacity to be able to encounter things each time as if they're, they're new, as if they're fresh, to experience something in a slightly different way than we had before. And this is also a beautiful quality uh, for us to cultivate in terms of leadership as well. Also in terms of if we're leading, if we're facilitating a team, uh, the members of our team, we think we, uh, we know who they are already and, and stuff, but to be able to be open and, and discover different aspects of, of that person, that's important for us as Elders, as I shared before, our job's not to boss people around, but to discover their individual talents, their individual capacities, and to create opportunities for those capacities or those talents to, to come forward. Um, that's, that's our role. So, yeah. And in the beginner's mind, from a leader's perspective, or, you know, anyone's perspective, really, like, how do you go about just holding beginner's mind? Yeah, a, a very good one. Well, we're so we have this tendency to um, be, as I shared earlier, to be up in our head um, all the time, mistaking knowledge for uh, for wisdom or insight. So, as we cultivate um, intentionally this uh, energy of heartfulness or mindfulness coming down out of our heads into our bodies, then rather than being thinking all the time about things, just on the cognitive level we're um, en engaging in moments in an embodied way. So as we walk, for example, um, we're, we're present for all the sensations of a, of a step. And we notice that um, each time we take a step, it's a new experience. Or if you uh, cultivate mindfulness of your breath, for example, every single breath is completely different. Um, it's completely different in nature. Um, it's actually quite a new experience. So something that is ordinary becomes extraordinary. One thing I, I've done with a couple of corporations that, uh, that I've worked with um, in the United States and in India is uh, something that sounds really um, childish, which I think is great, but it's actually a really deep experience. We take something like a tangerine, um, a mandarin, and we, uh, something that you know some of us might even eat today, and uh, we take that uh, mandarin, that tangerine, and then we take some time to hold it in our hands to feel like, is it warm, is it cold, the texture of the, the mandarin. And then we contemplate where's it come from, all, this, all the things that have come together to create that mandarin, which is actually, when we look into it, an ambassador of the whole universe right there. And then we uh, engage all of our senses. We break the skin. We uh, experience the fragrance of the essential oils. Um, we notice the sound and then as we take a, a segment of the mandarin, we experience how it feels on our tongue. We bite into the mandarin, the juices that come. And then it's such a deeply sensory experience. Um, and I, I actually, uh, we, we have a mindfulness class here in Bilpin for the people of Bilpin. They asked for this class. So we have it at the district hall and we did this exercise uh, for people that come. And people were like, after the exercise, normally they just run out of the hall after the exercise, but they were, they sat there and they're like, this is 
I've never experienced anything like this before. Something absolutely ordinary that we, we, we do all the time, eating and so on, that, but experiencing it in this full way. This is an example of beginner's mind. So we bring, we, we, uh, bring that same quality of attention to these ordinary moments of our life, experiencing them in different ways. So I, I wonder if that's a helpful example. Yeah, it is definitely. And also what I'm noticing in what you're, you're showing there, Brother Fatpai, is that um, the pace is like slowing down to experience the richness and fullness of an experience. Often what we have in the corporate world is, I'm in a corporate role as well, um, is that getting things done quickly is what's praised and rewarded. When you when you do something quickly, you skim over a lot of the depth of the experience that's there in, in that as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I wanted to touch on your book also. And one of the things that was, <laughs> it was I was gl- glancing through it and it, is, um, it talks about the eight eight realizations of great beings and just a funny observation that I thought to share. Um, it, it, there's a comment in there that oversleeping is a desire. I just thought that was so wonderful <laughs> that you could, that someone could be oversleeping because so much about what we focus on is, um, you know, not getting enough sleep, sleeping well, sleeping deeply, um, etc. Is there anything that you wanted to share about the book? You know, it, it, it's interesting. The first when you you brought that up, I think that um, uh, like in our, our way of looking, like there there can be two extremes, and we often talk about the the middle the middle way. So there can be it can be a problem if we're not getting enough sleep. And I think for many of us in the corporate world or in uh, who have busy lives, I mean, by the way, I also have quite a busy life. Oh um, yes, but I choose to. I uh, it's something that I choose. I think. In the beginning, um, we don't necessarily like have the chance to choose our circumstances um, all the time, you know, and uh, but then the freedom that we have as human beings is to choose how to respond um, to to any circumstance. Uh, Are we a victim of that situation in which there are 20 different deadlines or do we choose to, you know, uh, to nurture our capacity to be able to be fully present with each thing? I think that um, we like in the corporate world, I observe and I, I, I see that we mistake, okay, I've got to do this, 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 and it's all superficial uh, things. But what are we actually producing at the end of the day? We're producing more stress, more anxiety, more anger. And I found myself that uh, mindfulness is not only about slowing down. That's an important practice in the beginning for us to recognize some of our habit energies. But mindfulness is about being fully there for each thing. And most importantly, discovering what it means to nourish ourselves because that's something that I think we've lost the capacity to do when you're speaking about oversleeping uh, mm. you know it's that sense of like just zoning out it's not only sleeping itself but uh, not being awake to what's actually happening within our body and mind in our daily life just letting things go by and one of the ways that I think we're asleep is that we've lost the capacity um, we've lost sometimes even the willingness to nurture ourselves. We're pulled in a thousand directions all the time and the most important person to take care of so that you know we can actually be fully present is ourself. That's so different to our mindset. When we think of taking care 
um, or supporting, particularly if we're in leadership, we're thinking of taking care of everybody else. And while that's essential, the most fundamental uh, thing is to be able to take care of ourselves so that we can we can actually be fully present for another person. If you think that you can be fully present for another person, all the projects that you're undertaking um, and not be present for yourself, that's a recipe for burnout. Um, so the most important tool I think that we need to be able to cultivate is this capacity to come back, to be present for what's taking place, to know how to nurture um, our hearts. And then from that, um, that's what we can uh, that's what we can offer. So when we're thinking about less sleep or more sleep, we're also thinking about physical sleep and, and things, but we're also thinking about that tendency to be so uh, driven and so pushed all the time. Um, and then it's it's counterbalance, which is like completely shutting off, you know what I mean? Mm. And so kind of finding that middle way. What does it mean to nurture myself? What does it mean to nurture others? So it's actually quite a nuanced and deep, um uh deep pointed uh and the 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 eight realizations is a lot like that there's a lot hidden in plain sight and one of the the uh, difficulties that we had with this book which is like about 10 books in one <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was so difficult to write yeah uh, that is that there's a lot hidden in that text so i kind of had to it's a little bit like a tapestry uh, this book, I had to choose though just certain threads because even that one uh, phrase that you brought over oversleeping and so on, we could approach it in so many different ways. So yeah, I hope it's helpful. I think that's so insightful because you know I thought oversleep, I was like, oh, someone's sleeping too too much, but it, you put that perspective of wakefulness and being awake to the moment, and you could be asleep listening to someone you could be on a, a zoom a zoom call <laughs> you could be on a zoom call like tuned out or a teams meeting is what a lot of corporates use um and not fully present to what's happening in that so i i, I think that's so delicious in the insight in the depth that's there and i'm so glad that you like with writing a book that that's it's so it's like it's like a taste it's it's an it's an introduction into into those concepts, uh, and I'd love if people wanted to find out more. So again, the book is the Eight Realizations of Great Beings: Buddhist Wisdom for Waking Up to Who You Are, which I just love the title, and I'm looking forward. The other thing is <laughs> the other thing is to read it <laughs> not quickly, <laughs> as I first intended to, and then I read the words, and it was. Um, around reading it a chapter at a month so i'm going to undertake that project more more um heartfully uh, and like tune into it because often when uh, just when you read things like you can read it and you think oh it's done um whereas if you take take a text that's really insightful and you apply it to your life and then come back to it and reflect on it. There's so much more that is available in there. So um, it's funny that uh, I had a <laughs> I had a friend who said to me, "Your first book, uh, Brother Fowl, I, the first book is called Nothing to It. Um, the first book you say you suggested to take a chapter and read it like uh, and take a week on each chapter. And then this second book you're saying take a month on each chapter. Your third book you're going to say take a year." On each <laughs> But I, I uh, one thing I'm hoping to share with with uh, friends in this in this uh, second book 
is that we often think that our path, whether it's a, a path of mindfulness or whatever it might be, is a path from point A to point B, that we're going to get somewhere, wherever that somewhere might be. It might be peace or it might be happiness or so on. I often ask friends, like in the context of a meditation retreat, to contemplate why are they practicing mindfulness or, or generating presence? And some people will say things like, oh, I want to be happy or I want to be peaceful or I want to be something. And so I ask them to, to like, and the, already answering that question is great. Don't get me wrong. Like it's, yeah. it's important. Like many people don't even uh, have the opportunity to reflect on, you know, what they most want. So, okay, whatever word comes up, happiness, peace, joy, I want to uh, transform my depression, my anger, whatever it is. Great. Congratulate yourself. That's, however, where most people end. They just answer, I want to be peaceful, I want to be happy. But then we don't ever sink down to the next level, which is what do we mean? What's our experience of happiness? What's our experience of peace? What's our experience of joy? Um, how does that manifest for us? Sometimes our idea of something can prevent us from touching it. Um, like, for example, uh, my brother and I, we, I was orphaned when I was very young. We were separated out. And my brother um, came to visit me in the monastery in France. Uh, sorry, in the United States. I was in France for seven years and yeah. he came to visit me in the United States. And he said, I said to him, what do you want to do? And he said, what I most want to do is to take you to Universal Studios. And I thought, oh, my God, no, like, it's <laughs> not, not what I want. So I thought, how can I get out of this? Because that would be something, of course, that would bring him a lot of happiness. But for me, it would be excruciating. I thought maybe we can do something else together. And I thought, this is a foolproof thing. So I, I, I said, you need to, uh, we have a meeting once a week of all the monks. You need to come to the meeting and request, like from the monks, like to take me to Universal Studios. And I thought, I'm safe. Like, there's no way the monks are going to say, like, yeah, you can go to Universal Studios. So uh, anyway, I was sitting there, I was smiling, I was happy. And my brother said, look, I really, we haven't had a chance to do this. I really want to take him to Universal Studios, just play together. And then the monks, the other monks said, this would be a great idea. Um, <laughs> and so we went to Universal Studios and of course I hadn't been to an amusement park since I was about eight or something. And so we went and my brother took me on all these roller coasters and things. And the first one we went on, he ran off the roller coaster down to this kiosk and he was flipping through an iPad. And I thought, what's he doing? He was laughing. He was just flipping through this iPad. And there was photos of everybody else on the, the roller coaster with their hands in the air, like so happy it was me. <laughs> so my brother has a collection of these photos in his house and he, he, uh, he loves to look at them and to laugh. And for me, it's a reminder that uh, one, person one person's happiness is not another person's happiness. One person's peace is not necessarily another person's peace. So we need to sink down to that next level of what do we actually mean? And when we sink down to that next level of experiential um, understanding of what peace or happiness or whatever it is we think we're looking for is, then we begin to be able to touch it in our daily life. We discover that our journey of presence or awareness is not some kind of linear journey from here to there, but it's more of a spiral journey in which we come back to the same points over and over again, and we understand them in a deeper way. Um, yeah, that's what I wanted to add. Mm, yeah, I mean, uh, like this, it's the, I, I feel this way, so I want to feel another way. So I'll get to that point and then everything will be complete. 
and I'll be happy when I get there when really the happiness is inside you to, to touch anyway. Um, it's already there. It's just not, maybe not accessible to you. And the spiraling that you mentioned where you come back to being present, being mindful, being heartful. So I think we're well-trained. We're well-trained to be powerless. We're well-trained to be distracted and our real journey to me is not a journey to somewhere else, but it's a journey to be able to inhabit this moment right here, to inhabit fully this step, this breath, this conversation, and to not be divided anymore. If we're able to do that, then we're at our real destination. We've grown up with this idea, we've been trained in this idea that we're lacking something or that we need to be fixed in some way. But uh, with the, with the um, uh, process of mindfulness, we discover something interesting. In my own tradition, in the Buddhist tradition, when the Buddha had his awakening experience, the Buddha didn't say, oh, I'm the only one in the world, nobody else can do this, too bad for all of you. What the, <laughs> the Buddha said is, this is really strange. Every single living being has this capacity to wake up. So in the, in the practice of mindfulness, we have quite a different understanding to the understanding that many of us have grown up with, this understanding that we're kind of broken or wrong and you know we have to be fixed or we have to have like knowledge from outside and we'll finally get somewhere. The, the understanding of mindfulness and Buddhism is that underneath the, all of that pain or that suffering, um, there is this place in ourself that is open, that's free, that's aware, that's compassionate, that's kind. And the practice of mindfulness or generating presence is all about touching or uncovering what's been there from the very beginning. Um, that's always there. So it's, that's the, the, the difference that we, we kind of have. Mm. And we'll do that in a moment. Um, Brother Pai is so kind as to lead us onto meditation. And before we go there, I just wanted to ask if people want to connect with you or read your book or find out more about the monastery and mountain spring where would be the best place to do that i uh i think well the probably the easiest uh place to connect if you're interested in finding out more about mountain spring um uh, you can check out our website mountainspringmonastery.org i also have um a, a meditation group that meets every day um and we have meditations on whether they're heart-based meditations or different meditational themes. It's a free group and we have about 900 members from around the world who uh, participate and it's on Zoom every evening at 8 p.m. Uh, Sydney time. And you can find out more um, on compassionateoceansanga.org. Um, those are probably the, the easiest uh, places to connect and to, to find. And you can send uh, messages. I'm happy to respond to them through the contact uh, information there. Okay, cool. And for... Um compassionatesanga.org uh, I will put the links I'll listen back and put the link in the description so it'll be available for people to so, um, don't worry don't worry about the spelling <laughs> it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be coming for you uh, yeah so I just wanted to thank you so much for the depth and for the inspiration um, that you shared by the fat pie it's been so beautiful speaking with you and I'm going to pop myself on mute in a moment and I know that we have a meditation coming up about heartful embodying heartfulness so I would I personally love to dive into that so over to you mm. 
So thank you so much, Alana. It's been an absolute delight. Uh, I've loved the weaving that we've created together this morning, and I hope it's helpful for everyone. Um, I would like to invite everybody to find a comfortable position, a position that you feel completely yourself, completely relaxed. Um, if you have um, mobile phones, other things, take some time to turn them off if you haven't already, just so that you can be fully here. Um, you're not um, being pulled anywhere else. Then um, if you're sitting on a chair, just take a moment to place your two feet firmly on the earth. Perhaps um, sitting on the first third of the chair or half of the chair so that you're not leaning against the back of the chair. If you're sitting on a cushion, um, then uh, take a moment to have your two knees in contact with the earth. And then to, uh, once you've got that firm foundation established, I like to invite friends to just rock their body back and forth and to invite a sense of uprightness and alignment to their spine as if they're without any force, as if you're uh, inviting the vertebrae to rest one on top of the other. And coming all the way up, just rocking back and forth, um, perhaps rolling your shoulders back slightly. You might even notice that you gain a couple of centimeters in height as you do this. We often hunch down. So we're opening this sense of uh, openness um, and spaciousness, rolling our shoulders back, perhaps imagining a string from the crown of your head to the, the ceiling, just uh, pulling your, the back of your head up slightly, dropping your chin, taking a moment to close your eyes, resting your hands in your lap, perhaps Considering all of the experiences that you've had today, everything that led up to this moment, and then letting them all go, taking a moment to think about all of the projects that you have planned for the rest of the day, all of the expectations that you have, and then letting them go, just choosing to be here for these few minutes to nourish yourself. Now we take a moment to just do a very quick body scan. Just flowing our attention down through our bodies, perhaps noticing any areas of tension, tightness and holding and without creating a struggle, not trying to push them away, perhaps seeing if we can invite a sense of spaciousness, awareness, um, just inviting a sense of openness to those areas, seeing if they want to release, they want to relax. And as you sit in the space that you're sitting, you might be in an office, you might be in your living room at home, you might be sitting outside. I invite you to take a moment to become aware of all of the sounds that make up this moment for you. Loud sounds, soft sounds, sounds that you find pleasant or sounds that you might find a little bit annoying in the beginning. And without being drawn into any particular sounds or repelled from other sounds, just be fully present to all of the sounds that make up this moment.
and gently and slowly taking our time. We'll let our awareness of sound sink into the background and let's become aware of the sensations of our body. Perhaps beginning with the strongest sensation that you notice at this moment in time, which might be the sensation of contact between your body and the chair, your feet and the floor. Or if you're experiencing some pain in your body, becoming aware of that strong sensation of pain. Noticing if you're drawn towards or pushed away, being repelled by that sensation. And then perhaps becoming aware of some more subtle sensations of your body. Just allowing them to reveal themselves to you. Perhaps the sensation of your hands resting in each other. Or maybe even the different temperatures of your body. The parts of your body that are covered with clothes, the parts that are exposed to the air. Just allowing your body to reveal itself to you through sensation. We've been aware probably of the sensations that are more external, the sensations on our skin, for example. Take a moment now to become aware of any internal sensations that you're aware of. This could be things such as perhaps a sense of warmth from inside. You might notice your heartbeat. You might be noticing perhaps some sensations in your stomach if you've just eaten. Gently and slowly, we'll allow awareness of the sensory experience of our body to fade slightly into the background. And let's become aware of the fragrances that make themselves known to us in this moment. Whatever they might be, if we're sitting outside, we might be aware of perhaps the fragrance of some eucalyptus. We might be aware of the fragrance of cut grass. We might be sitting inside and be aware of the fragrance of some food that was cooked or maybe there's some incense burning. Um, just become aware of any fragrances or odors that make themselves known to you. Noticing if we're drawn to any or we push any other fragrances away. We feel somewhat repelled by them. slowly and gently we can allow our awareness of fragrance to sink into the background and let's become aware of the physical sensation of our breath perhaps that first touch point of air when it touches somewhere between the tip of our nose and the top of our lip 
that first touch of air on the in-breath, and that last touch of breath as breath leaves our body, which is in the same area. We can become aware, perhaps, of pressure or temperature in that area on the in-breath, and the same on the out-breath. Perhaps noticing if there's a difference in temperature or pressure on the in-breath and out-breath in that area. And if we feel that we're well established with the physical sensation of our breath in that area, I invite you to bring a sense of awareness to the physical sensation of your breath all the way through, following your breath inside your nostrils, into your sinuses, down through your windpipe to that last moment of an in-breath when the abdomen completes its rising and then begins to fall, which is the first moment of an out-breath. Following the sensation of an out-breath from its very beginnings all the way through to that last moment of contact of breath at the conclusion of an out-breath. Aware of our in-breath all the way through. Aware of our out-breath all the way through. Just allowing your breath to reveal itself to you. Slowly and gently, I invite you to bring your awareness to your heart. You might notice some sensations in the area of your chest, perhaps even the heartbeat. You might experience a warmth. Or if you're not experiencing any sensations at this moment in time, you can visualize your heart. Just bring your attention to the area center, slightly left of center of your chest. How are you experiencing your heart in this moment? Is it feeling open, free, warm, at ease, or are you feeling constricted? However it is, let it be that way. And as you're aware of the sensations in your heart area, I invite you to bring to mind the image of something that nurtures a sense of protective care in you. Might be the image of a small child, could be a small animal, perhaps a flower, an aspect of nature, just something that nurtures that sense of protective love, protective care in you. And as you bring that image to mind, whatever it might be, Notice if there's a shift in the sensation in the area of your heart, perhaps a sense of tugging, 
It's a sense of opening. And if we identify that, we can invite that sensation to slowly expand and to fill our heart. To fill all the tissues and the muscles of our heart. And as we do so, we can begin to wish ourselves well. Using words or phrases such as, may I be well, may I be happy, may I be at ease, just as I am. Just allowing this sensation of protective care, of well-being, of ease to become stronger and saturate all the tissues of our heart, just like a drop of oil without any effort will gradually expand if it falls on a sheet of paper to fill the sheet of paper, allowing that energy to expand and fill all the tissues of our heart. May I be happy. May I be well. May I be at ease and filled with joy, just as I am. Really wishing yourself well. Wishing yourself ease. And as that energy of well-being and ease fills your heart, it might even feel as if your heart's full to overflowing with that energy. And if so, I invite you to allow that energy to circulate throughout your entire body Perhaps visualizing it flowing along with the flow of blood throughout all of the organs and tissues and muscles and cells of your body. Saturating every part of your body with that sense of well-being, that sense of ease, that protective care. May I be happy. May I be well. May I be at ease just as I am. I be happy. May I be at ease. May I be well, just as I am. Really touching these qualities and experiencing these qualities right here and right now. as we come to the conclusion of this very initial meditation on heartfulness, we can take a moment just to compare how we're feeling now with how we were feeling when we began our meditation, just seeing if there's been a shift. So if there's a little more ease, a little more centeredness, a little more presence, a little more joy. Perhaps taking a moment to just send some gratitude to ourselves for spending these few minutes in cultivating awareness, cultivating presence. And knowing that our meditation is coming to a conclusion, 
we also set the intention to carry this energy with us, that the meditation is concluding in some way, but continuing in others. And we'll enjoy a sound of the bell to come to a conclu conclusion of our meditation. perhaps taking our time to just gradually emerge to a more everyday form of awareness, perhaps rolling our shoulders, flexing our hands, perhaps turning our head from side to side, perhaps even taking a moment just to inwardly smile to ourselves, gently opening our eyes and noticing where our gaze falls, noticing all the forms and colors that are around us, coming back to really inhabit this moment in all its fullness. I hope this uh, short meditation was enjoyable for you. That was Brother Fap Hai. And wasn't that teaching about heartfulness just so beautiful? And I know throughout my time that I found myself more present and more heartful and mindful of everything that I'm doing. So I hope you find that too. And I want to thank brother Papai so much for being on the show and generously sharing his insights and his teachings with us. And if you love this episode, there are a couple of things that you can do. You can share it with your colleague who needs to hear this or a friend, and you can subscribe to where you get your podcasts. And if this is really your vibe, you can rate and review this podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts. I would be so grateful for that. Thank you so much for listening and have an amazing week.